0: We're coming this morning uh, to Acts chapter 9, and I would imagine it may be one of those chapters that a lot of people are more familiar with than they are with a good bit of the rest of the book of Acts. It has to do with the conversion of Saul, the one that we have studied in recent weeks as being like the foremost persecutor of the church in Jerusalem imprisoning people and that sort of thing and it seems to be to a degree that's far more than really anyone else chapter 9 verse 1 we're going to read through 19 but Saul don't let that confuse you this is Paul his name's about to be changed Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any uh, belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you, per- you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men you know, who, are traveling w- who were traveling with him stood speechless, bear- hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and na- neither ate or drank. came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Saul been introduced already in his book of Acts. We're told that uh, when, when Stephen the deacon was executed, that uh, that Saul approved of what took place. We're also told that Saul was ravaging the church. That he had in essence become the chief and primary persecutor of the church in Jerusalem. He was entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and. Con- find them to prison. I think you could probably argue that at this point in the history of the church that Paul or Saul, who would become Paul, was probably the principal and primary persecutor of the church. He would have been the last person on the face of the planet that anyone would have ever expected to convert to Christianity. The least likely candidate of all people. He was doing everything that he could to snuff the church out. He wanted to put an end to it before it's, this ludicrousness spread any further. And he did it with great passion and zeal. Believing all the time that he was serving God. God. And what he was doing. He wasn't even satisfied just persecuting the church in Jerusalem. He now determines to go to Damascus to do the same thing. Well, I don't know how much you know about church history, but, but church history is replete with those who have striven to follow in Saul's shoes. Those who have been convinced that they were serving God by persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. Many of our brothers and sisters down through history have served jail time for following Jesus and in some cases suffered even death. That seems to be a totally different planet than the one that we live on at least in in our little world we can't even imagine you know someone appearing here this morning and putting us in shackles and carting us off to prison just simply because we came here to worship Jesus but there are places in the world where that happens on a regular basis day in and day out History is replete with those who have striven to follow in Saul's shoes. Those who were determined to snuff out the church completely if they could possibly do that. And the whole time convincing themselves that they're serving God in the process. They're serving his best interests. countless brothers and sisters down through the ages have served jail time for no other reason than they followed Jesus Christ. Thousands of our brothers and sisters as we speak this morning are in prison for the same reason. Should not surprise anyone even though things like this very often do. Jesus said to the disciples, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Sometimes I don't think we really truly appreciate the rights and the privileges that we have been afforded here in the good old U.S. of A. There are a few places on the on the place, uh, uh, face of the earth, all through history, that have had the freedom to re- to practice our religion completely unhindered by the government, as you and I have. It's not something we can take for granted. It's not something we can take advantage. It's something we should take advantage of, but not something that we should take for granted. Because we know this. We know that the culture is changing out there. That the, the, the Christianity has been like the anchor that has led this nation for the last hundreds of years. And that uh, the country is drifting more and more off course. We understand that. There's a growing counterculture that would love nothing more than to silence the church. And it's becoming bolder. It's becoming more outspoken. There are people in this world, there are people in this land today that hate the fact that we have both the freedom of speech and the freedom to practice our religion. Unfortunately, some of them are in positions of high authority. But anyway, back to Jerusalem and to, to, to Damascus, the word of truth is spreading forth from Jerusalem. It was never Jesus' intention for the apostles to stay there. What did he tell them? What was the great commission? To go forth into the world. It's not that you're going to stay in Jerusalem and do your ministry forever. So you grow old and you die there. No, you're going to go and then you're all going to go. You're going to leave here. You're going to leave the security of this place and you're going to go into the unknown world and you're going to share the gospel with everyone and anyone that will give an ear to what you have to say. The word of truth is spreading forth from Jerusalem like a raging fire. The message that people have desperately needed to hear is being spoken. But it's not without opposition. Saul wasn't satisfied persecuting the church in Jerusalem. Now he determines he has to go to Damascus of Syria and do the same. At this point in time, if you had asked people if people would have voted for the person who was least likely to convert to Christianity, that would have been the one who would become the Apostle Paul. He abhorred the church. He hated the church. And he was doing everything he could, humanly, to completely eradicate it. His conversion stands out in history in a way that perhaps no one else's does. His life, his conversion is a demonstration of the power and the authority of God at work in this world. No one, no one, not Paul, not anyone else, not even the, uh, the, the 11 apostles would have believed that Jesus would send forth his spirit and convert this man to Christianity. When God began to speak to me years ago, By his word and by his spirit. I had a dear friend that had converted not long before I did. A man that I'd known for years. And he and I used to party pretty doggone hearty. And that sort of thing together at times. His name was John Stevenson. His name is John Stevenson. And he was, uh, you know, Laurie was witnessing to me to some degree, but John began to, he and I began to meet in secret and talk about things. And, you know, I told him up front that uh, you need to understand something, that I'm willing to listen to what you have to say to me. but you need to understand that I'm not going to take it easily. You're going to have to convince me that I'm wrong and you're right. But when I was converted, it shocked a lot of people. Even John. John said to me one day, he said, I shared with you, I prayed for you, I witnessed to you, but I believed you were the least likely person on the face of the planet to convert to Christianity. I don't know why I really had that kind of a reputation as being anti-religious or whatever. I was—I would have classified myself kind of as agnostic. You know, I didn't persecute Christians. I didn't say bad things about Christians. I, you know, I didn't—you know—I'm not out there trying to take away their right to speech and this, that, and the other. I just, just—you know—didn't understand and realize what the real truth was. But that was a really sobering statement. (laughs) Was I really that bad? (laughs) Well, I really think it had more to do with this. You know, I worked in an industry that... uh, There are a lot of educated people in it, but there are a lot of people who've kind of worked their way up through the ranks and this and the other, and I had far more academic credentials than the vast majority of people around me. And so I was for some reason thought to be this really intelligent smart person kind of thing uh, But you know it, it was so humbling to me it was almost like John was likening my conversion to Paul's conversion It's just a measure of, of the power and ability of God to change even the darkest, blindest hearts. As Saul leaves Jerusalem on his way to Damascus, he is at, in fact keeping a divine appointment that was made unbeknownst to him at the very beginning of time. What was unfolding might surprise the mess out of the Apostle Paul or out of Saul at this point. But it was all completely and absolutely according to the perfect will and purpose and plan of God himself. he draws near Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shines around him. you read the Bible much, you'll understand that light is often associated with the presence of God. Jesus, in fact, in the Gospel of John, calls himself the light. In other words, Saul is in God's spotlight. And he knows it. (laughs) When he was visited on that road to Damascus that day, he had no doubt who was confronting him. It was obvious as it could be, God himself presented uh, to him uh, in in, in a number of different ways as light. This light, this brilliant light shone all around him, which is very often what you see presented when God's special presence uh, appears. So he sees the light and he hears this voice speaking. Saul, Saul, why are you such a blessing to me? Actually, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? Why, you, Paul, are you persecuting me, God? Now let me tell you, that says a lot. It says a lot. Because we need to understand something. That one of the things that is taking place here is God is making a statement. And the statement is this, is when you persecute any of mine, you are actually persecuting me. They are mine. They are my representatives. And so when you persecute them, when you say bad things about them, you throw them in jail, you do this, that, and the other to them, you are doing it to me. That's how close we are to our God and to our Savior. And Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, Peekaboo, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine what went through? Paul's mind at that point uh uh oops oh my goodness it's hard to imagine like someone just dumped a ton of bricks on him probably the last thing in the world that he expected to hear (laughs) It wasn't that funny, Evan. <laughs> whatever he saw and whatever he heard, it caused him to fall to the ground. In other words, he was humbled by the great and the grand presence of God. It brought the blind, arrogant Pharisee not only to his knees, but flat to the ground before his maker and his God's. In other words, Saul was as low to the ground as you can get to the ground without actually being in the ground. What a revelation. This Jesus, whom I believed to be dead and buried, and I rejoiced in it, is now speaking to me. Oops. Oh my goodness. Mega oops. Boy, when I'm wrong, I'm really wrong. I can imagine that there was something else going to his, through his mind, and that is, uh-oh, what is he going to do to me? look what I've been doing to his church and now he's confronted me what is to become of me he's left blind temporarily you know we get from the passage it was because of the brilliance brilliance and the in in the greatness of the glory of the light of God shining. But it's representative of the fact that he had actually been suffering from an even worse type of blindness than physical blindness. And that's what we would call spiritual blindness. Blindness. truth is Paul all along had been blind and he did not even know it. Blind to God, blind to his truth, blind to the glory of his church. He had been blind and the whole time he thought of all people that he was the one who could see the very best of all. See, persecuting the church equals persecuting Jesus, and persecuting Jesus means persecuting God Himself. Not something that is preferred or recommended. Jesus is come there to confront Paul, but that's not the only reason. He's come there to commission him. Jesus had a very great deal for Paul to do. His mission will consume the rest of his life. Absolutely and completely. He will never marry. He will never have children. His life will be consumed with the mission of Christ. They consider this. Consider all of the spiritual children that he's had down through the generations. Including you and me. See, God through Paul still speaks today in the Word of God. Paul was the most prolific of all the New Testament writers. We have more books from Paul than we do from anyone else. He has to be led into Damascus because uh, he is blinded by his encounter with Jesus. And once he's there, the Lord sends his disciple Ananias to him. And first, Ananias is hesitant because he's heard about Saul. How he's ravaged the church in Jerusalem. But nevertheless... He is faithful to the Lord's bidding and he goes because God says this. He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. The Lord chose Saul to do this. Saul did not choose the Lord. There's a sense in which that is true for all of us. Just like Philip as we've studied last week or the week before. Paul will be faithful in the Lord's work. We have the history of his ministry spread through a good deal of the New Testament. The truth is this, is we know far more about the ministry of the apostle Saul who would become Paul Than we do any of the other writers of the other New Testament books. We know a little bit about the history of John. And we know a little bit about the history of Peter. And some of the others. But we don't know any of them in near the detail that we know the history of the ministry of Paul. Which we very soon will be turning to in the book of Acts. And it will consume most of the rest of the book. And then we have all of the Pauline epistles. Other than Jesus, no one in the New Testament has had more influence on you and I than the Apostle Paul. As we studied the word of the New Testament, we've studied to a large degree the words that God spoke through the Apostle Paul. Jesus tells Ananias, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Years later in his letter to a second letter to the Corinthians, Paul gives a listing of some of the trials and tribulations he has endured as a result of being an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's being compared to other people. And this is what he says. He says, Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and open or often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rod. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from, from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in, in toil, in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, there is the daily pressure Of my anxiety for all the churches. Quite likely, easy to argue that no one, no one in the history of the church endured the sufferings to the extent and degree that the Apostle Paul did. From history, we know that sometime later he would be executed in Rome by the sword. But only after many, many years of active ministry. All because he simply refused to cease and desist from preaching the gospel of grace to all manners of people. That was his only crime. Being faithful to the Lord. He had actually been in our house arrest for quite a while before his execution took place. What was he doing? <laughs> he was basically preaching Jesus from his place he was staying. And by the time his in came. He could even say this. Even members of Caesar's own household had converted. Who would have thought? It is actually estimated today that as you and I are speaking that 10,000 people in, in China will convert to Christianity. 10,000 people. A good sized town. The estimated number of conversions in China every single day. And it happens to be in a country where evangelism is strongly discouraged. Very often people are imprisoned today in China for doing nothing less than preaching and teaching the gospel. There actually is an official Chinese church, but it doesn't believe what the church believes. There are many, many underground churches in China. When I was on the examining committee, it was one of the greatest honors and privileges I've had in my whole lifetime. I enjoyed it. I loved it. Met a lot of really cool guys. They challenged me. I challenged them to grow in our understanding of all kinds of things. I had the privilege of participating in the examinations of two Chinese nationals who were pastors of underground churches. And let me tell you something. I wish more of the candidates that we have Coming before us, who are Americans, are half as sharp as these guys. Theologically astute. One of the interesting things is, this, is we would ask them a question in English. You know, English was their second language. They spoke English, but it was their second language. And, uh, and, you know, you, you normally when you have these candidates, they're so excited, you know, about being there and whatever, that as soon as you ask them a question, they just start talking, they're nervous, that sort of thing. These guys would sit there in silence for, you know, a minute or two, and finally one of the guys would say, What in the world are you doing? He said this, he said, What I'm doing is you're asking me a question in English. What I'm doing mentally is I'm translating it into Chinese, and coming up with my answer, and then I'm translating the tri- Chinese into English so I can tell you. Can you imagine doing something like that? And I'm telling you, they were sharp as they could be. They had, they had the right answer for every single question we asked them. And we prayed with these guys, and, and, and you know, we've been trying to keep up with the ministry that they're involved in in China. These guys, every one of them, could have served in a church anywhere in the United States and the people who had them would have been blessed by it. But they chose not to do that. They chose to go into harm's way. To share the gospel of Jesus Christ with their fellow Chinese. And they're not only putting themselves in harm's way, often it involves their parents, their wife, their children. Simply to be faithful to their calling and to their Lord who calls them. And to contribute to those 10,000 conversions that happen every day in China. When's the last time you told anybody about Jesus? I'll be uh, honest. It's been a few weeks for me. Maybe a couple months. My fear is that some of you are sitting there thinking this morning that I have really never shared Jesus with anybody. Anybody. He's my Lord and my Savior. And I know that He wants me to do that. But I just haven't. In fact, I can't do something like that. And the fear is, you're going to say the wrong thing. But let me tell you something. when John Stevenson and I had our conversations one of the things I said to him was this is, you must care about me a whole lot to do what you did because I knew it wasn't easy well, let me just tell you, sometimes when, when we had conversations, he was very obviously nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. <laughs> it's like he was afraid I was going to eat his lunch or <laughs> something. But nonetheless, he did it. And it mean, meant all the difference for me. Because it demonstrated a lot of things to me. And one of those is that this is how much he cares about me. That he's willing to suffer possible persecution at the hands of this guy. Just simply because he wants to be faithful to the Lord's calling. Don't let your fears freeze you. Please don't. Let me tell you something, if you have never personally shared the gospel with another person, you have cheated yourself out of one of the greatest blessings you would ever know in your whole existence. And you're letting nothing but simple human fears control you rather than leaning on the Holy Spirit who indwells you, who promises you he will give you the words to speak. He will speak through you. The only thing you have to do is open your mouth. Your life is not your own. He has purchased you. You belong to him. Are you someone who has virtually surrounded yourself by only Christians? In other words, pretty much everybody you know is a church person. That might be what your will is, but I can tell you today, it is not the will of Jesus Christ for you. It just is not. You hear people say, well, no one's ever taught me how to do evangelism. Let me just tell you something. No one should ever have to teach you how to do evangelism. If you know the gospel, and if you're saved, you know the gospel, then you know all you need to know to tell other people. Period. And very often we act as if our life is our own, but I'm going to tell you this morning, your life is not your own. Your life belongs to Jesus. Period. And like the Apostle Paul, he has told us to go into the world And tell people about him. And I'll be very bold this morning and tell you this, that if you are in essence refusing to evangelize, then you are purposely and willfully disobeying God. What you're doing is you're allowing your human-centered fears to overcome your love and duty to Christ. Your fears control you. No, 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 no. No. And I've told you this before. If you just can't do it, if you can get people here, I promise you, I promise you that I will share the gospel with them while they're here. But let me tell you something. It would be a whole lot more special and a whole lot more meaningful it came from someone that they know truly loves them and wants the best for them it makes it a whole lot more personable or personal in a sense a whole lot more precious because they can see in you What I saw in John, and that is this. I know this is not easy for him. It's difficult for him. He's struggling. He doesn't really know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. But he's doing it. He cares that much about me. Little old me.